We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for the NFL Divisional Round, considered by many to be the best football weekend of the year. Two intense games taking place on Saturday and Sunday both. So a lot to get to. We're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack some of the results from wildcard weekend, some of the head coaching changes as well in the latest developments on that front. Let's start the show. What's going on, everybody? I am your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for the NFL Divisional Round. Uh, Mario, an amazing wild card weekend. And, you know, as uh, the weather gods would, would have it, um, we, we got two games each day, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. The, this week, the field is down to just eight teams remaining, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Um, how are we feeling? going into this cold john um it's too cold and uh, i guess i guess it's not too bad for this slate uh being indoors for one uh of those games but uh it looks like we might get another a little bit of weather involvement um so i, I guess it's uh, worth keeping an eye on that too but uh, i'm hoping that it's not too bad in that that ravens houston game especially because it would be kind of uh it would need, be neat to see those those quarterbacks get to play kind of um, a fair game and not be taken down too much by the wind. Uh, I guess in that Kansas City Buffalo game, you're not as worried because those guys have the the 99 arm strength. But uh, yeah, ho- hopefully we get a, a clean clean ball anyway. I'm hoping so as as well. I'm obviously very much looking forward to that game. I also uh, I'm fueled up by by the surge tanky and coffee that that I just got. <laughs> um. What is what is Surge tanking and about it? Is it like uh, is it made in Armenia or something? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's um, at least it's shipped here from California. But I don't know. Yeah, as most uh, rockers on the other side of their uh, peak are want to do, that start off in a business venture. He got into coffee. Yes. I love coffee. Is good. Yeah, you stop making albums eventually, but you keep having bills and life expenses. So I guess that that's also why you got to do the 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 Snoop Dogg every so often. Him being like, uh, whatever. This is my official kind of backpack now. 
Right, right. Like uh, I'm giving up smoking, and then it, it's like a advertising ploy for like a, a smokeless fireplace or or something like yeah. that, if I remember correctly, some sort of stunt. But um, either way, uh, unofficial sponsor, uh, the, the system of a down coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why, why don't we get into the games here? Uh, we're going to break down each of the, the divisional round matchups. We'll get into some postmortem on the teams that lost last weekend and, and a little bit of, of coaching stuff at the end. But, you know, let's, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing here. Uh, let's start off in Charm City. Mario, the Ravens are hosting the Houston Texans. The Ravens are a nine or a nine and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. Uh, the over under in this one, the lowest of the weekend, 43 and a half. According to the forecast on weather.com, it looks like it's going to be a clear day, um, but cold. It's, go- it's going to be in the 20s, uh, high, tw- high of 27, it looks like. Uh, during the day on Saturday, uh, this one kicks off in the afternoon at 4.30 Eastern time. So it, it will get colder as, as the game progresses in this one. Um, you know, with, with what Houston did last weekend, kind of defeating everyone's, myself included, uh, Dark Horse in the AFC really convincingly. Um, you know, yeah. with, how big of a threat to the, to the Texans pose here? The, the books seem to suggest not – a huge one given the spread, but I, I, I kind of beg to differ and the public, I believe begs to differ as well. The majority of the money is coming in on Houston. Yeah, that is interesting. I was pretty shocked at that line. Honestly, I thought it would be more like, I don't know, five and a half or something. So uh, maybe that just, uh, that's only just because I, I am not a better clearly, but nine and a half, man, that is, that's crazy because, like you said, John, two-thirds of the public betting on the Texans, and yet uh, the line for the Ravens went up a point anyway. So it seems like the people who tend to know better uh, the way these things play out, the, those people seem to be generally putting their money behind the Ravens, or at least somebody with, with uh, more at stake per bet is doing that. But I just don't know how the Ravens create that much distance. I mean, there's there's... I think still pretty obvious uh, like structural limitations to the Houston offense. As long as Nico Collins is their only real reliable pass catcher. It was really cool to see Brevin Jordan get going a bit last week, but that was obviously just kind of uh, not to take credit away from Jordan, who I think might be pretty good, but that was just the Browns defense somehow disappearing for about 80 yards, which is just crazy to do in a game like that. And, uh, if the Ravens don't allow that play to happen, then, you know, what, what does uh, Houston have at that point to counter? If, if even if Nico Collins goes for like 140 yards, getting uh, one of Stroud's better games to occur just isn't doable. Usually in my opinion, unless you got Dell and some other decent enough pass catcher out there. And it just doesn't seem like they're built to air it out very much. So if, if it's like a low scoring game, um, I guess the, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe a low scoring game would suit uh, the Texans fine. Like I was, I was worried about last week, the whole issue being like, if, if, if you got Nico and no one else, you can only really run to, to get, you know, the bridge, the rest of the distance you need. But yeah, if, if, if you know, the Brevin Jordan plays aren't happening, then we need Singletary to be less like, or not as much like 64 yards or whatever it was last week. It needs to be closer to a hundred. 
And um, I think he can get like halfway there, but I don't know if he can get to that hundred or, you know, past 85 or so. And um, that's why I don't really, that's why I wouldn't pick the Texans to win the game, but for the Ravens to get nine and a half points, uh, I guess you'd need Stroud to almost turn it over or something. And I, I suppose that could happen, but um uh, I don't know why weather, especially like cold and wind, would affect Stroud more than it would Lamar Jackson. I don't think it would actually. So no, Stroud, Stroud has play, played plenty of cold games in in college at Ohio State. Yeah, not that. Uh, not that I obviously. Not that. Um, I mean, Stroud probably doesn't have that really, really freakish arm velocity that you know Mahomes and Josh Allen do, but he's probably better in the wind and the cold than Lamar Jackson. As far as like, like Lamar's more like wrist action and not so much. Uh, brute force as much as like the velocity of the release is what makes his throws fast so cold and wind i feel like cuts against that you know more than it does against the guys with the brute strength so um i i just i don't know how the ravens create the explosiveness it's turnovers on stroud's part aside which again I, I just don't know why that would be the first thing you'd suspect exactly um i don't know how the ravens get more than like a touchdown maybe and even that I, I don't really feel that comfortable about because they they the, the explosiveness just isn't there if Lamar Jackson doesn't do it. So we need like Louisville Lamar Jackson to happen and anything less than that. I don't know how they cover. So it, am I hearing you right? You, th- you think the Ravens offense is just going to score one touchdown? Um, I think they'll score more than a touchdown. I just uh, I, Louisville Lamar. I mean, th- he needs to score like five for them to cover. Uh, cause uh, I see, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the explosiveness is going to come from. If not from him, it's not as much as I like Gus Edwards, I wouldn't suspect against this Houston text, uh, this Houston run defense that he can do a whole lot. Uh, the Houston run defense has been really good all year. Will Anderson and Greenard are probably going to be healthier this week than they were last week. The tackles maybe too. So I don't know. I, I, I would go with the Ravens to win, but mostly for reasons of home field advantage and uh defensive, uh, I don't know. The Houston defense, I think, is good. I don't want to make it sound like they're um, th- that they're like lacking any particular way, but I-, I am assuming that the Ravens defense is a little bit stronger. So uh, for those reasons, I'm picking the Ravens, but it's not because I can imagine, you know, nine and a half points. I, I, I don't I don't know how that happens. You know, it's like we need Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham to have a big game, something like that. And I just don't know how these conditions are the spot for that. No, I, I agree with that. Um, and, and, you know, I think some turnovers on, on the part of CJ Stroud would, would likely um, have to have to play a factor in that Stroud hasn't thrown an interception uh, dating back to November 11th. I want to say that was like the Bengals game, if I Panthers remember correctly. Time? No, um, so, somewhere in that neighborhood. But it's been a while since, since not a whole lot of bad off. games. Yeah. No, he, he and, you know, he did miss like a game and a half in, in that span. But either way, plenty of attempts, not a any interceptions uh, in that sample. So if he continues to take care of the ball, then I think Houston is in this one um, until the very end. I know we mentioned just kind of how like not monochromatic necessarily the the pass game is, but Nico Collins being such the the number one uh, presence in that passing game, uh, it really doesn't look like Marlon Humphrey is going to be able to go in this one. I don't think the Ravens have particularly good corner personnel behind him. So I think that that, is going to be an interesting factor. I think spatially they're, they're going to have to roll more coverage over to him. That could open some things up for, for the likes of Revan Jordan or, or Dalton Schultz. Yeah. I'm, I'm too much of a Schultz hater to, to be 
too afraid of him, but uh, I, Brevin Jordan at least can run after the catch. Like, I don't know if he's whatever a liability as a blocker compared to Schultz or something like that, but you know, Brevin Jordan at least started at, in uh, college. You know, Dalton Schultz was just kind of like a backup at uh, Stanford behind a not particularly great group. So uh, Jordan, though, if if he gets more looks, I could see him being pretty good. It's just um, even if Nico Collins has that 140, like it's that's that's more like what Humphrey I think would kind of pertain to is like can they keep Collins under a certain customary amount? And um, it, you're right, it, Humphrey being out means that it seems like the Texans are going to get their customary amount for, for Collins. It's just, even if they do that, I still have trouble seeing how they can kind of uh, match every jab that the Ravens have to throw from that point. Like there's just, uh, I, I need the, the, I need Jordan to have like that, a uh, 80 yard touchdown again, something like that, you know? And it's like, if that doesn't happen, I'm not convinced the Texans really have another move to play. And it's, it's not because, uh, not because Stroud can't do it or, uh, not because Slowick can't think of it. It's just they are are kind of working from a you know the the disadvantageous position position. Like they got the worst hand to play. Uh, this being in Baltimore and you know Tank Dell being out. So it, it just seems to me that even if Humphrey is out, that that wouldn't matter unless it's because it's like Collins gets to two hundred yards or something like that. You know some, something else that you know moves the needle again to where it's like oh this is clearly how uh, Houston you know, makes up the gap in the budget. And um, I don't really see that happening either. So honestly, I, I don't think it's going to be that easy for uh, Collins either. Like I, I think he'll probably be held more likely to something like 80 or 90 yards. So uh, it's easy enough for me, not, not to assume the Ravens are going to win, but it's easy enough for me to budget, you know, the, the idea of how it works uh, just because I or in part because Texans are, are shorthanded and it, this isn't the this really isn't the venue to have like good luck on offense. Right. And I, I don't think that this is going to go the, the way of the, the 2019 uh, divisional round game uh, with, with the Titans. But that, that could be wishful thinking. But the, I don't know, the, the Titans kind of similar story, like got, got hot at the end of, of that year and, and uh, you know, went into to New England, beat up on Tom Brady and went into to Baltimore and, uh, you know, really roughed him up. But uh, I think that this Baltimore team, probably a little bit more battle-tested than, than that one and, and a good bit more experienced now uh, than, than it was then. That year, they, they almost, like, kind of snuck up on the entire league and, and then it caught up uh, with, with them. To your point on on Collins and, and uh, Singletary, uh, Collins' prop uh, set anywhere between 76.5 and 81.5, depending on where you're shopping. And for Singletary, uh, anywhere between 57 and a half and 61 uh, and a half. So that those are kind of good baseline parameters for for the expectations on how they're going to do on Saturday. Yeah, uh, I guess I would say you kind of need the over on Collins for the Texans to really. I guess they could cover and I guess they could even win without Collins have a big game, but it would take like Lamar melting down on the other side in the more baseline kind of scenario playing out, I think they need Collins to get to like at least 80 plus to be competitive. And because I do think they'll make it competitive, I can kind of, I can rationalize like, Oh, Collins should get to something like that easily enough. Cause um, yeah, if, if he doesn't get to something like that, I don't know how the Texans, you know, get so much as like 20 points or something like that. And uh, right. 
So yeah, I, I'll go with the Ravens, but I think it's more of like they're going to have to play like a submission hold style of game, you know, like they're going to kind of need to just kind of get little bits of leverage advantage and kind of like cling to it and, you know, uh, just kind of make sure the Texans have like the short end of the straw, but don't, don't get like too, you know, don't go running too many plays. Like the Ravens, I don't think want this to be a game where both offenses play 65 plus snaps. Like I think they want to keep the Texans under like 50 and just get out. Yeah, I, I think so as well. So that, that kind of reminds me of the 2011 uh, divisional matchup between these two teams. I was in the house uh, for that one. The, and uh, TJ Yates, the, the Yates of hell, uh, oh made God. that one a, a much closer game that, than um, I would have anticipated. And then Baltimore went to New England the following week, and then the Billy kind of game happened. Um, but who, you know, who remembers that? But I remember uh, Billy. Yeah, well, well, that – that kind of led to them uh, going for Justin Tucker and the rest is history um, on the, on the Baltimore injury front, a couple of things of note beyond uh, Humphrey uh, does look like guys like Zay flowers um, are, are going to be in good shape for this one. And have you noticed, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Mark Andrews back fully practicing. Yeah. Hopefully that's, hopefully that's you know what it kind of looks like what they're saying it is anyway you know full practice usually means you're pretty close to healthy you know pretty close to 100 percent. sam laporta was listed as a full practice participant on his uh last practice day for instance in uh this last week so it could be you know a non-zero impact that andrews makes and i i guess um I guess that could be playing some kind of factor in the the betting markets on this. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's some kind of great indicator for the Ravens to have Andrews back or something like that, even, even if it's only in like a 40 snap capacity, but if, if he's able to play 30 plus snaps, I guess that does change things pretty significantly. Not that, not that Isaiah likely was any sort of issue. It seems like he was actually, you know, carrying, you know, the, the offense to some extent, uh, hopefully they can keep them both featured because yeah, if there's some way to give, if there's some kind of impact for Andrews to make that isn't at the uh, trade-off of Likely's production, then you're talking like an offense that's pretty difficult to defend if you can somehow arrange all that. And then uh, as far as the run game goes, uh, the Ravens obviously signed Dalvin Cook late in the season, um, and I, I think he's going to be elevated and, and available for for this game. So that the mixture of you're not expecting him to, to see a ton. Um, of, of work, but from from the the Jets sample this year, is there anything in the tank that, that he could give as as a bit of like a, um, you know, a little bit of a boost to, to this run game now that there's no Keaton Mitchell, but you still have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I hate that the Ravens keep doing this, actually, because it's been uh, whatever. Melvin Gordon, I guess, has been harmless enough. But before that, it was Kenyon Drake. You know, it's like, why can't you just go sign a real running back? If you're going to add a running back, why does it have to be? uh, It's like they're going into just like the Madden franchise mode free agent list and just signing the top one that's listed there or something, even though they're even though if you look closely, their speed stats and all the stuff that really matters are low. And it's just their high awareness rating that's that's making them show up high in the ranking. And that's that's useless. Uh, You need somebody who can actually run with the ball. And I guess in some sense, it's like, it's, it's kind of weird that cook fell off as hard as he did. If he really is toast, 
than the amount of time that he went uh, that it took for him to go from like viable to completely useless has to be some kind of record and um especially for his age like it's it it makes sense for him to lose a step but it's like he lost all the steps somehow is what you'd have to conclude from his jet stint so maybe i don't know maybe he needed to get in more of a rhythm or maybe there was some other kind of excuse but uh i don't know how you call him clearly better than melvin gordon and yeah melvin gordon was already enough of like a, a big who cares kind of thing so uh yeah i just i don't know even like dontrell hilliard would have been more interesting to me where's that guy why do we have to keep signing just these 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 retreads for the Ravens late in the season every year? Well, I guess Melvin Gordon. I love Melvin Gordon. Uh, great Badger, um, pretty good pro, but does fumble. I think yeah, so does it. Cook. And when you're looking for ostensibly, you're looking for stability, right? When you're when you're making a veteran running back signing, why are you going and picking up Melvin Gordon? And Dalvin Cook, two of the biggest fumblers out there. Like if you if you search for the the running backs who have the most fumbles per touch, uh, especially like recent times, those guys are way up there. They might be one and two. So it's it's weird, but uh, I hope that if they have to go to Cook or Gordon or whatever else, I I hope it works out. I just don't know why it would really. Uh, Dalvin, two fumbles lost this year on all of sixty seven carries. So that's that's. Uh awful not what you want um but i would say my 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 pick for this game is baltimore 24 houston 17 there it is so like yeah i'll agree in the under cursing it in the process indeed um let's move on to the saturday night game we've got the packers and the 49ers same spread in this one as the Early game, nine and a half points in favor of your NFC number one seed, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, if the, the Texans got people's attention last weekend, uh, then the Packers really, really did. I mean, I, I thought that they could cover. I, I thought that seven and a half was like, oh, yeah, they could lose by a touchdown. Sure. And, and we get the cover. That's that's completely within line. You know, Dallas, very good at home, but, you know, the, the playoff record has, has been, the track record has been a little bit shaky, of course, uh, over the last few years, but did not see that coming. Uh, any way that that continues on, like, should San Francisco be on upset alert? Uh, Mario, did I lose you there for a second? Yeah, sorry. Uh, my computer apparently can do this cool thing where the internet just... It's not that the internet went out. It's like disconnected the internet connections. So uh, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, hopefully it waits a while before it does that again. Uh, well, um, how about before we, we dive into this game fully, uh, we're, we're talking Packers, Niners. Uh, why don't we have a word from our sponsors? We got our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sun with day beds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sportsbook, Circa Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat. With a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th, the big game parties only 
at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're picking it back up. All right. Packers, Niners, your thoughts? Yeah. So P- Packers certainly get a lot of credit, i.e., I, you know, all the credit for the way they handled the Cowboys. But the Cowboys did kind of choke quite a bit, I think. And I don't know how much this is Dallas. You know, maybe Mike McCarthy, Schottenheimer. I don't know who whose fault this would be. I don't know if there's sort of like a an extra gear, you know, an extra bit of spin that you have to kind of put on the ball in the playoffs uh, as far as your your game planning goes. Uh, you know, maybe doing things just a little bit differently might be required. And maybe Dallas was an example of what happens when you do exactly what you have done all year and even Joe Barry is at that point able to kind of figure things out because it was it was one of those games where it uh, it almost was like watching the Jaguars offense, you know, where the receivers seem to almost be going to where the defenders are and the defenders don't really seem to be breaking a sweat, keeping up with everybody. They're just like Keyshawn Nixon of all corners crowding CD lamb all day. Like that's crazy. Uh, that's seems to me like the receivers are, you know, they, or rather the defensive backs pretty much know the receivers routes. Uh, or at least have a good idea of it. So it might have been a little easier, uh, you know, against Dallas than the talent to talent comparison would lead you to think like it might have, it might be actually fair to say, especially the Dallas offense was just truly a no show and like not that, uh, you know, there's a whole lot that the Packers, because in other words, I, th- I think this Packers defense is still closer to the one that got torched by Baker Mayfield, you know? So uh, I don't expect the defense to hold a whole lot of um, sway in the outcome of this game. I'd love to see that. It would be really funny, in my opinion, if Brock Purdy had another interception meltdown against the Packers of all defenses, but I don't think he will. I think he'll probably have a really good game. And that's not to say the Packers at that point can't keep up. It's just... Man, that's that's not the defense that I want to get into a shootout game against. It's like if you're able to play along in a shootout against the 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 49ers, like you're you're very lucky in each each thing, you know, each each uh jab that you land, you have to worry like might I not get another chance to land another one the rest of the game? Like might might that be my last shot? And um I don't know if the 49ers can just kind of go score pretty much every drive. I don't know if the, if it's really even fair to expect the Packers to be able to match 
those those uh points so um with that said a close game like a game where the you know 49ers don't score rapidly that's still a tough one for the packers because i don't know um i don't know how the packers really hurt this 49ers defense i guess it would have to be more through the air like i can't really see aaron jones having another big game it was it was awesome last week and he's he's uh really good it was it was all aaron jones it's not um you know i'm not trying to say the Cowboys defense handed it all to him but the 49ers defense is probably going to shut down Aaron Jones and uh Jordan Love has been great but it's it's like he's working against both a, a passing game and run game on the other side uh whereas like Love might have to do pretty much all the lifting for Green Bay and you know at a certain point I, I mean it's been an unbelievable story but both Love yeah. and and this cast of first and second year guys none of which were you know like overly high draft picks i mean you've got oh. Jane Reed, Dontavian Wicks, uh Christian Watson, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft like none of those guys were Bo Melton. Yeah, Bo Melton who whom we love from from podcast, his days. Yeah, podcast uh, favorite Bo Melton. Yeah. I don't know why I know that like he was like the Rutgers is like one of their highest rated recruits ever. Like one of the rare uh, four stars going to Rutgers. Because we have, we have like, we know everything about uh, Bo Melton, Isaiah Pacheco, Raheem Blackshear, Arthur Sitkowski era Rutgers. It's um, I think it's actually like the Sitkowski kind of stuff is what involuntarily burned it into our minds. And it was just like in the process we had to, you know, remember those other guys too. Yeah, like sift, sift through the rubble of the Rutgers offense and be like, wait a sec, no, no, this guy could play. Um, and I, yeah. I still, I still like to um, envision a parallel universe in which uh, Leonte Carew uh, is the best receiver in football. Yeah. The original James Washington, king, absolute king. Um, but yeah, it's been unreal what what the Packers have been able to to get out of those guys. Um, you know that that's a, a good job scouting and, and developing. Uh, in all those cases, but um, if it does come down to Jordan Love, you know, kind of having to carry this entire thing on the Packers side of the equation, like, it, it, is that going to be just a, a bit too much for them to overcome? I guess I gotta say he has shown quite a bit of poise, and um, outside of that, like the first six weeks of the year, and specifically, I guess I'm thinking of there was that Saints. The Saints, Falcons, and uh, Vikings game, maybe all in that first six weeks. And those games, they, they got pretty ugly, but it didn't seem like it was getting ugly because Love was, like, getting shook or rattled, you know? It seemed like – I still don't know how they were that bad and how he played that bad, but he was just kind of, I guess, not on rhythm and his accuracy was, was not on point, and it got pretty ugly. But – he has seemed to, to not really get rattled at any point that I can remember. And if he doesn't get rattled against this 49ers rush, he could be surprisingly dangerous. I mean, he's, he's been quite good even against a handful of very good defenses. And I guess I don't know how to, I, I'll say the Dallas defense probably showed up as much as it could, you know, in that game last week, it, it, the Dallas offense, I called a no show, but the defense I think showed up, and so we can count that as an example of love doing really well, even against a tough defense, the chiefs, you know, that was the game actually where I, where it kind of, you know, took me that long to, to dawn on me that, uh, Oh, actually maybe this is, you know, a real t- uh, corner that he's turning and maybe, maybe Jordan love really is the real deal. And um, that chiefs game was a really good indicator that that was the case. And, you know, Dallas game, everything in between then it gives you reason to think that, um, 
on the short list of quarterbacks in the NFL that can throw against the 49ers, there might be Jordan Love in there. And I guess one thing I'm intrigued about specifically is I think that the Vikings, the game where Kirk Cousins had like 400 yards against uh, the 49ers, even though they, they must not have had Justin. Je- Did they have Jefferson for that one? No. Uh, anyway, uh, Jordan Addison beat Cherverius Ward quite a bit in that game, but it, the other guys were going too. you know, there was, there was quite a bit going. And I think what got the 49ers defense into its um, kind of, you know, off its rhythm in that game was the Vikings were making their depth at corner cover more ground with less help. And the Diamador, Lenore, Ambry Thomas, there's probably something there to, to, to finding a way to, to destabilize this whole pass defense structure that the 49ers have. Like you're not going to get anything going against Fred Warner. You have to figure out somewhere else to make it happen. And the, the, the Vikings were pretty fortunate to have Jordan Addison beating Traverius Ward in that game. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to put it on Romeo Dobbs to, to beat Traverius Ward. I don't think it's that realistic. You know, it's like Dobbs had an awesome game. I like him a lot, but I think Ward's a better corner at this point than Dobbs is a receiver. So it's, it's, uh, it's more Thomas and Lenore that you have to beat if you're the Packers. But if you can, if you can find a way to isolate them and, and get them into the field where the 49ers defense can't give them cover, I would absolutely give Jaden Reed the advantage over uh, Lenore and the slot. And uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess Wicks, even Melton, et cetera, might, might be people who can get open a little bit against Thomas on the other part. But um, yeah, I, I also LaFleur has done a really great job in the past couple months. And I think he's, he's also a reason you can think that love might be able to do it. It's just the pass rush is going to get there every so often. And it's like, what kind of effect will that have? It, will it result in Jordan love making ill-advised throws? Will he, you know, get hit while he's making throws? Will, will those things cause the game to go like off track for the green Bay offense? Those are, I think those are the ways that it would go wrong for them. But if those things don't happen, I don't know. It's like if, if Jordan love can get a certain number of shots with, with the depth that the Packers have at receiver against those, uh, you know, number two, number three corners for the 49ers, that, that is a f- matchup that, especially if Lafleur can kind of tap into some, you know, extra amount of genius, they should be able to get something going. Uh, as far as getting your know, actual win goes, the problem is still, it's like that, that's the scenario that needs to happen just for the Packers to kind of keep pace, you know, uh, getting an actual inch on the 49ers. I don't know how they really do that unless, like, unless Purdy kind of, you know, slips, if they're going jab for jab, Purdy and love and, and Purdy kind of just messes up. Um, I guess that that's, that's the way it could go, but it's, it's putting a lot on love either way. You know, it's like, if he, if he actually gets the win here, then he has a really good case to be MVP. (laughs) So talk to me a little bit more about this, um, Niners pass rush versus, uh, the, the, the Packers pass pro, um, because it feels like, you know, the last week, you know, you're going into Dallas with, with a pretty devastating pass rush and, and, you know, love is able to, you know, keep his Jersey relatively clean throughout that game. Um, you know, so it seems like that, that Packers offensive line seems to be gelling one way or the other. Um, do, you, yeah. do you think that, um, you know, that they are going to be able to, to kind of have an edge in that matchup to, to where this isn't uh, Bosa and Chase Young and company just kind of taking over and collapsing that pocket over and over. Well, the Packers offensive line, I, I guess I at least uh, undersold Zach Tom. I, I guess he's uh, done a pretty good job on the right side. It's probably been more so Walker on the left who has had issues. Um, I, I, I personally 
uh, I'm, I'm, I don't really have any evidence for this, but I'm personally going to just assume the 49ers front four has the advantage. Like even if, even if the Packers do very well, you know, by their standards, I just think the 49ers, uh, they don't need to have one of their best games to be like consistently really, um, you know, stressful as a pass rush. And they can do more than cause stress. They can cause, you know, real turnovers and stuff too. So it's, um, you know, with Bosa, Chase Young there, I assume Armstead is back by now. Uh, if if Armstead is back. Um, yes, he's off the injury report. Okay, so Armstead had been missing for like two months or something there. So that's a pretty big addition. Uh, yeah, this, this, I don't know. I think, I think that, um, you know, despite me defaming Zach Tom and company previously, we can say that the 49ers pass rush should have the advantage here. And um, I guess um, the, uh, not to, not to change the subject a little bit, but like the question is like, can the, can the pass rush uh, get there without any blitzing and stuff like that? Cause I think if you're the 49ers, especially if the, if the Packers are setting you with four wide and you're going to your, your, your bum corners on the depth chart, you might want to give them a little help, you know, and, and you might not be able to put more than four rushers down. And, um, you know, m- maybe the Packers can withstand that kind of thing or love uh, managing the pocket. Well, as he has uh, standing up to contact as well as he has, maybe he can manage the conditions, even if they're stressful. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I don't want to make it sound like as, as much as the 49ers have all this personnel strength there, that it would make the Packers like helpless. And again, I think a big part of that is that Lafleur. I think he must have like a pretty, you know, comprehensive perspective on a, on everything. Like he, he's, if, if there's a concern that the Packers offense might have, he's probably already thinking about it and thinking about ways to mitigate the issue. So I, I, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're talking four quarters and a, a 49ers offense probably working consistently Jordan Love can have a, a good game and the Packers can still fall short in a way that's kind of like clear, you know, like they're um, maybe maybe they finish the game uh, trying to score a touchdown down five points, you know, from the 20 yard line with no timeouts left, something like that. Uh, and Love can still have three touchdowns in the way to getting to that point. It's it's like the, the question is, as far as winning this game goes, like, can you somehow, you know, have 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 one more than the 49ers and uh, for the Packers, not in my, in my opinion, they can't counter the run game. So in the Packers case, that means can love specifically produce a sum that is equal to, or you know greater than what Purdy and basically McCaffrey do on the other side. And it's, it's like he could, it's just, he'd, th- that's what I'm saying again. Like he'd, he'd almost at that point be like, I don't know, a top five quarterback or something. And uh, an MVP kind of candidate for, you know, he, he doesn't have the, a real alpha receiver, I think good as Jaden Reed has been good as their depth has been. This offense is only working as well as it has because Jordan love is doing such a good job of like yep. playing the drummer and the whole thing. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a dangerous spot and I am picking the 49ers. I'm not trying to just pick every side here somehow, but I do think love will be like composed. I don't expect him to get like totally, you know, pants the way Dak Prescott did last week, for instance, <laughs> he did get pants. Um, Let's see here. So um, as far as how the public is reacting to this one, 50 per, 57% uh, of the money is on the Packers to cover nine and a half. Uh, about that is three a lot of, of points. 
it, it's a, it's a ton, right? And then uh, 75% is on the over, which is set at 50 and a half. Um, I might stop a little shy of, of that. Um, and then um, we've got about 60% of the tickets coming in on, on the Packers money line. So actually a decent amount of, of uh, Packers money line bets, but you know, that, that probably is a little bit tied to uh, getting, you know, three and a half to one odds on that. Um, between the two underdogs on Saturday that, that are both set at nine and a half point dogs, uh, which one do you like better to cover? Um, man, uh, I really, I, I guess this is, this is how you would come to worry that it's some kind of trap. I really want to pick both. Uh, but I guess I will take the Texans. Um, if only because I'm a little worried about the Baltimore offense, uh, the, you know, the, the bad weather applies to them too. I am not worried about the 49ers offense. So if, if it takes 30 points for the 49ers to cover, it's like, okay, that's easy enough to see if the Ravens need 30. I'm like, eh, I don't know if that might be a little greedy. So yeah, yeah I'll say Texans. Okay. All right. I, I will remember this and taunt you if it goes the other way. Um, I mean, I would love I want the Ravens and the Packers to win. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be uh, particularly wrong about the Ravens part there because I, I guess we're considering the Packers a foregone um, conclusion there. Yeah. All right. So, fair enough. Um, before we move on over to Sunday, got a message from our friends at FanDuel. Y'all play on FanDuel. Tackle millions in prizes all playoff long on FanDuel Fantasy Sports Contests. If you're new to fantasy, there's no better time to get in on the action because right now, new customers get a 100% deposit match up to $100. It's free money that they're giving out. Playing fantasy for huge cash prizes on FanDuel is both fun and exciting. Just draft your lineup and watch your team move up the leaderboard. Um, so any DFS targets for, for you, Mario, if you're playing the, uh, the, the Saturday slate that, this week? John, I bet it'll be a, a pretty good game for Christian McCaffrey, and you can quote me on that. that that's um, a good guy to build around. Um, I, I'm going to have a hard time not rostering Nico Collins uh, on Saturday. I, I just feel like there's so much targets uh, potential there. Yeah. And some touchdown upside, too. So, like, uh, you know, with the half-point PPR score and you want a little bit of touchdown upside, I think Collins uh, gives you that. I think I'll probably get some Isaiah Likely uh, going a, as John? well. I'd probably make a Jordan Love based lineup. I assume he's quite a bit cheaper than um, maybe all the other quarterbacks on Saturday. And um, it's it's one of those things like if the Packers can't run at all, you can get Love, whatever, Jaden Reed, Melton or somebody like that should be really cheap. And, uh, you know, they sh they should they should be in the team with like the longest catch up script with the most uh, favorable throwing weather, even if it's, you know, a tough defense also. Yeah, good points there. So I, th I think the Packers passing stack might might be um, definitely something to consider. How we pay for McCaffrey and Collins. Yeah, there you go. All right, now, this yeah we're building out a feasible lineup here in mid read. Plus nice. on FanDuel, you can choose from full slate contests featuring multiple games, single game contests, season long best ball contests, beginner only contests, which are great for learning the ropes and more. And when you win, you get paid instantly it'll like make your head spin how fast you get paid out when you win so kick off football season and the nfl playoffs with 100 deposit match up to 100 go to fanduel.com to start playing for huge cash prizes 
today. All right, Mario, Sunday. Bucks, Lions. Lions, six and a half point favorites. Lions. Emotional scene in Detroit last week. You know, that the, it was almost like a college atmosphere when Stafford co- comes onto the field for the Rams' first drive. I thought that uh, the broadcast team did a good job of just kind of letting the moment breathe and, and not saying anything uh, until the ball was snapped and just letting uh, the audience kind of hear how nuts the, the crowd noise was because it was it was loud in, in Ford Field. And then uh, a great game unfolded. And then, you know, you see some, some fans crying in the stands because it had been basically since I was born uh, that, that the Lions had last won a playoff game. So quite some time. And it was amazing. It was a, it was a great game. I thought it was a fun back and forth between them and the Rams. I thought the storylines were, were great. Um, so there's that. And then on the Tampa Bay side, they seem to be the, the, um, the outlier in, in all of this, like all these other teams that for the most part, you can, you can kind of see how they got there. You've probably paid, pretty close attention to them, but the Bucs have kind of flown under the radar all year. It's a bad NFC South. They don't have any marquee wins uh, to, to note, but Monday rolls around. They just put the Eagles in a blender. I mean, it was, I, I thought that the, that their Bucks could win close. I didn't see it going like that, but may, maybe it's a little bit of the Eagles just continuing their descent into, into hell the, the way that the, their uh, last, month and a half, two months of the season went, but I still give the Bucks credit for, for how they played on, on Monday night. But I thought that there were some plays Monday with, with the Bucks that probably won't be repeatable the same way this time around. Like I, I felt like so, some of those big shot plays that, that ended up landing, I'm not sure that they're getting those this time around. So they're going to have to find a way to, to win in a more conventional way. Yeah. Uh, Trey Palmer had that long touchdown and he in every game this year had been, but like before that week, every game he was uh, just killing them basically. So when a guy who's been killing you all year has his best game of the year, like he did last week, like that can kind of, uh, that can be an anomaly for obvious enough reasons. So you're right. Um, I think you can give credit to the Buccaneers and acknowledge that, you know, they're, they're a real team and they showed up to play last week and they, they deserve credit for, beating the Eagles um, in a you know, convincing way, moreover. But the Eagles still are guilty of just kind of like the worst in-season collapse that I think any of us will ever see. I'm sure there's like a couple bad cases that I'm just not recalling. I highly doubt any of those cases are as bad, though. It's just uh, – it's it, every other case like this, it's more there were high preseason expectations and they kind of just sucked all year sort of thing. Right. That's common enough. But to get – in, to go in with the expectations, go like two thirds of the year, just, you know, emphatically reinforcing those expectations, validating them. Then you just become one of the worst teams in the NFL. And, you know, at the same time, there's all these indications of inner just discord. Like it, it was all a weird mess in a way that's, I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, uh, deciphered and explained to us at any point i don't maybe no one will ever even be able to but uh they were about as much of a no-show as a playoff team can be so the the buccaneers at the very least you know they they need to assume that they they need to play at a much higher level in this game and they they will be more focused item at well i don't know i guess they probably took the, the eagles totally seriously even if even if from the outside we were you know finding them less credible than we had 
uh that was a that was kind of like a super bowl level win for the buccaneers as far as they're concerned you know given given where they started from and given that they're basically an eight and eight team uh in a normal year so they probably took that game seriously i don't know i think even if they're fully locked in with this one i I think the issue is just that um they don't have a lot of talent and their quarterback mayfield is not given cover the way that Goff is given cover by the lions you know that to me they're pretty much the same caliber of quarterback whatever maybe Goff's a little better i don't care but it's it's not a meaningful distinction to me but what is a meaningful distinction is the overall uh effectiveness of the lions offense and i know that the, the the buccaneers pass blocking has probably been okay this year but be it you know the the fault of rashad white or the, the offensive line the run game presence hasn't been there for the buccaneers in almost any game this year it, it's not right it's uh whatever you know it's it's not changing this late the, the lions run defense is pretty tough so Mayfield should be able to throw for a certain amount. Like those Lions corners really can't cover Evans. They can't cover Godwin either, in my opinion. So even if Evans has, uh, if, if Godwin and Evans combined for like 200 yards, I still don't know how Baker Mayfield is getting to like 280 or whatever. And I think he needs to be in that range and um, probably with more, t- yeah, and more touchdowns and turnovers. Like he need, he need a script like that, in my opinion, to plausibly budget the way that you can pretty easily budget the lions offense. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust Mayfield. I have more confidence in the lions coaching. I guess I will say Canales to me seems like a little bit better of an offensive coordinator at this point than Bowles is a defensive coordinator, but I think Aaron Glenn's a good defensive coordinator. I don't know what most people think about him, but I I think he's a good uh, defensive coordinator. So I could see the lions defense playing, you know, tougher than it really has any business playing and the thing is they don't really need to like smother the Buccaneers offense they just need to make sure the Buccaneers run game isn't better than it ever is usually and then just create like one or two turnovers off of Mayfield that should be enough like they shouldn't they shouldn't need to just totally clobber the Buccaneers if they can just get a couple turnovers that should be enough and um, maybe it won't be right away but over the course of the game I think you can imagine the Lions run game getting going uh, the more they have chances to kind of you know beat into the uh, Tampa Bay front seven yeah this one I I can't figure out but I mean I part of me just wants to back the the Bucks here at, at six and a, I would love it at, at seven, six and a half, a little bit trickier. You could certainly envision uh, the lions winning this one by, by, a t- by a full touchdown, um, you know, because the, the bucks outside of last week, you know, they haven't been a great team, but by any means that this year, they have been pretty good against the spread, especially on the road. Uh, so keep that in mind, but you know, I, I don't see them necessarily pulling, pulling the upset, but I, I think they, they, they can make this like an cover. interesting game. Yeah, because I, I think that there's 71% of the money coming in on, on the lines to cover that much. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, that makes me a little bit uh, weary. Yeah, Goff is not the kind of quarterback who scales up for volume and is not the kind to make a ton of big plays either, you know? So um, it's not because the Lions are so such a great, obvious shootout offense. It's It's that they should be able to run in this game. Whereas the Buccaneers should not really be able to run in this game. And uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're, um, you know, Baker Mayfield and you're, you're throwing from 
third and 11 enough times you're you're going to turn it over in my opinion like it, it, the key to and just the same the key to protecting golf from an otherwise probably pretty competent buccaneers defense the the key to protecting him is make his scenario instead of third and 11 be you know second and four be third and six maybe stuff like that and i just think the lions know that enough uh, at least by now and are good enough at arranging that s- script that they should be able to take care of business here. But yeah, it's um, I think a challenging setup. Like if for the Lions to cover, I feel like you'd need Baker Mayfield to have like the turnover scenario without any of the touchdowns. Like you, it would need to be more like just a, a start to finish bad game from him is what it would probably take. Which is, you know, certainly possible. Um, you know, he's had a, a very good year, especially relative to expectations, but uh, it could happen. Anthony notes that, uh, that Detroit offensive line should, should start to kind of like, uh, you know, make its mark late in the game. And I thought last week um, in particular that their Lions defensive line really showed up late as well. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch that very closely, but um, Alim McNeil always stands out. I mean, he's a, you don't see enough appreciation for these kinds of guys these days, in my opinion, but uh, he's a two gap defensive tackle, you know, like he'll, he'll hold, two blockers on the interior he's still disruptive somehow but like he'll he'll he's really dense and you know low built and he'll he'll hold up a spot against two uh two of your biggest interior linemen and uh you know that frees up the linebackers to to be effective in the run defense behind him so uh yeah there's 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 some ways that the lions can um put baker mayfield in a legitimately tough spot and if if they as long as they keep golf from turning it over early uh, as Anthony said, they should have the luxury of leaning into the run game in the fourth quarter. It, it, it's at once key for the Lions. Like they they really need to make it happen. But it's also true, I think, that they, you know, should be able to when they've they understand the situation. You know, it's not like they're it's not like they're gonna go in not paying attention to these other details that and you know, let it get away. Like they know we gotta keep golf protected. We just have to do this and this and this to make that happen, and the rest will work itself out if we do. Yeah. So yeah, good the golf no turnovers or, or limiting them, I, I think will, will be huge. So yeah, it, it's not groundbreaking analysis from me here, but you know, the, the turnover battle I think is going to be uh, really big uh, in, in deciding that this outcome uh, last note on, uh, on Trey Palmer, uh, he did tweet on Monday before the game. I'm pissed off and he scored a touchdown. And I think the other time he scored a touchdown this year, he also tweeted that he was pissed off. So keep an eye on that uh on oh, sunday man. morning i i uh now that i'm on you know the lion's side i i hope trey's having a great week i yeah. <laughs> uh, i hope his soul is at peace and he he demands nothing of the world whatsoever come uh saturday uh, sunday which one is this sunday uh this is sunday the, yeah, the so early sunday. one all right <laughs> all right we we have uh that game completely uh sutured up i guess let's get our picks um I will take the Bucks to cover. Yeah, I'll say like uh, 27, 20. All right. So, so Lions cover and would that put or, us? Uh, sorry, I'll say it. Sorry. Uh, t- some, something uh, more like 20, 27, 21. I meant something where the, the, the Buccaneers barely cover. Okay, we'll, we'll get it. And then that would put us just on the under, which is set at 48 and a half. Hmm. All right. Let's, uh, let's round out our game breakdowns. The big one. Everyone's talking about this one. It's a big game. We got the Bills playing host 
to the Chiefs. Shoes on the other foot. Patrick Mahomes actually has to go on the road in the playoffs for the first time uh, in his career, which is just astounding uh, this far along in his career with, with, with the type of playoff record that he has. But that's just a testament to how good the Chiefs have been un- under him. Uh, but now we see the Bills as two and a half point favorites at, at most shops. The over-under in this one set between 45 and a half and 46. <sighs> You know that I think the Bills have made me eat my words. I, I was a big skeptic of the, of them coming into the season, um, and and I was looking good through October, maybe even into November. But as December and January have unfolded, they you know it, not that you get a ton of credit for for winning as a as a double digit favorite like they did last week against the Steelers, but it does kind of feel like Josh Allen is probably the most dangerous quarterback left in the postseason right now. Uh, I don't see it that way. I mean, uh, we're talking a small sample and even in the sample of success that the bills have had since uh, the whole nine 11 thing, for whatever reason, <laughs> um, we we got a couple games where Allen still really struggled. It was just kind of like what what's happened over the entire span is the Buffalo defense has shown up. And even in uh, like the, the dolphins game, I would not characterize that as Allen being so effective from start to finish is just kind of like, Dolphins had nothing and, you know, defense got tired and you see this game happen a lot with the bills over the years where it's kind of a, it's like a stalemate going into maybe like the mid to late third quarter. And there's, there's been a lot of sputtering by both offenses. And then Josh Allen at that point just decides to like start running like crazy. Every, every instance of a play where he would drop back in the first half and maybe look a little confused by the coverage before throwing it away or making an inaccurate throw or whatever else in the, in these particular points, he'll just run instead. And that's usually, especially when in conjunction with short fields, that's enough for them to get the touchdowns that they need to pull away. And, and, you know, sometimes in pretty um, decisive fashion, just glancing at the scoreboard. But what we still haven't seen in my opinion is a clean, uh, sustainably budgeted Buffalo passing game. And in the event that that um, is required, which it hasn't been in this whole stretch, in my opinion, where they've been successful, it, it hasn't been required because the defense has played so well. And um, we, we still have the issue of my opinion of we have Gabe Davis running too far downfield at, on the boundary. We either uh, are putting Khalil Shakir on the bench to, to put a two tight end formation out here or we're doing an incoherent thing where we're rotating the two tight ends from the inline spot. And uh, Shakir, for some reason, is not really fe- – like I, I guess they were designing that slot role to be like Isaiah McKenzie forever, and they had Deontay Hardy for the same reason of just uh, flats uh, tosses and like maybe slants sometimes. And it's like you need to get that slot role resembling a real receiver role, like a real route runner role. And Shakir can give them that, but – they have to make more of a serious effort to get him the ball. And w- in any case, what you'd have is just kind of this tangle of like Shakir, Knox, Kincaid, all at like low depths, all not really getting open. Gabe Davis being easily neutralized on the boundary, running against someone much faster than him in a straight line down the field. And especially in the first couple of years with, um, I guess you'd say Dable. And then uh, the, the last year, uh, Stefan Diggs would usually bridge the gap. Like there would usually just be like, well, Stefan Diggs just gets them to 120, 140, all those other uh, clunky parts of the offense don't matter anymore. We've still not really seen Diggs get going sustainably or like convincingly, in my opinion. Like the Dolphins game was nice, but 
we we need to see him going at that kind of like 1400 yard pace like he did in Allen and him's best year or else the inconsistent parts of the other aspects of the passing game eventually put the bills offense off schedule like there'll be a point a stretch where an inconvenient number of the dud plays happen in a row and that's that's something that could be avoided in my opinion if they did things like use Gabe Davis on lower depths of targets uh, use Khalil Shakir more in general use Dawson Knox less in general things like that just threaten more of the field those are all things that I think would help Josh Allen out but uh, I'm not convinced they'll do it I mean maybe Joe Brady will maybe maybe he's you know maybe he's been working in things that Dorsey did not have and maybe it's taking time to put it all there but if they keep running the same offense my concern for them is if they do end up going against a team that that makes them play catch up, if, if if the if the Chiefs somehow get a lead, and if the Bills really need to throw the ball, and uh, if Josh Allen's running option is not there for whatever reason, that's I think when you worry about Josh Allen starting to turn it over, and you know, any any team if you turn it over enough, you're you're just gonna you know knock yourself out. So th- they have to make sure that the turnovers don't pop up, and they got to hope that not en- not too many of those dud plays that I was talking about pop up. The two probably kind of lend to each other. Uh, They got to stop that stuff from happening and they need the defense to keep showing up. And the defense, at least in this setting, you know, especially with the Chiefs not having a uh, convincing overall offense, I think you can project another strong game from the Bills defense here. And uh, I know no one one wants to hear this, but the Chiefs really need to get Mecole Hardman going deep or somebody. I said it last week in uh, I said it to you like offline or on Twitter, but like last week's game was like Nicole Hardman character assassination. Like they're making him do impossible stuff in impossible well, conditions. It's there like, was the oh, one, it's not one play, work. the one play he could have done better. And I still, I think the one where, where everyone said he quit on it on the interference, I, you got to understand how fast he's going and how that's an icy field. Like he, he probably could have got there if he had better, like, ball awareness you know and stuff but it's obviously that is not his strength like hands and ball skills are not Michael Hardman's strengths but it doesn't actually matter if you're the Chiefs for a couple reasons one you need someone as fast as him pushing back the safeties just in general like unconditionally this is true you just you need him to do it and your other guys can't do it so use him for that purpose if nothing else but even if you want to bring it down to the target efficiency like he he, yes he, he will miss plays sometimes because of his poor tracking and his hands aren't that great but he in his, his whole career with the chiefs o- overall is something like he's catching about two thirds or 68% of his targets at nine yards a target. Like if you're, if he um, misses these plays, like, you know, the, the one last week on the interference, he misses plays like that. He misses whatever else people remember about him that piss them off so much about him. If he weren't dropping those passes or running to the spot or whatever it is that he did wrong, he'd be a guy who's catching 72% of his passes at 10 plus yards a target. What other player does anyone hold to that sort of standard that if you, if you don't clear top, you know, 99th percentile, you're just trash. That's crazy. Obviously he's an incomplete player, but that's why he's a role player and not a guy you pay like, you know, $20 million a year. It's fine. If he doesn't need to do that much better than his pay grade to still be useful. But uh, in any case, the reason I I name him for this specific matchup is that Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford thrive. If you let them play like 15 yards or less. So make them play farther than that. Make Jordan Poyer turn and run. And Marquez Waldis Scantling has the speed to do that, but he doesn't seem to, you know, for as much as people complain about Hardman's tracking or hands, we can agree that Marquez Waldis Scantling is another thing entirely. 
and um, you know, get but get someone to make those guys run because they can't do it, you know. And if if you could get just one bomb, just one big play in a game like this, that would be so huge for the Chiefs, and it would be the kind of thing where it's like even if you don't have another big play downfield all game, this buys you so much cushion, a cushion you really need. And a cushion you can't so easily, in my opinion, create by any other means. Like, you, you know, you're going to have to grind with Rasheed Rice. I guess Travis Kelsey, if he's still playing. And uh, Pacheco's got to do the rest, right? So, like, un- unless you're prepared to really put everything on those three guys, you better find some way to cook up a big play downfield. And it doesn't matter how how much you try with Justin Watson or Kadarius Tony, It's not happening. So, stop wasting your time. You don't, you're not good enough to waste time like that anymore. No, and definitely not in this spot, even for, for the warts that, that we laid out there uh, when it comes to the Bills and the ways that, that uh, they can be beaten. Um, does the flip, does the script flipped here? Like, does is this the time where, where Josh Allen bests Mahomes in the postseason finally? Well, it has to be the easiest game yet to do it. I mean, I can't imagine Mahomes projected nearly as badly in the other matchups as he does in this one. Uh and who knows what the road effect will be on Mahomes? I, I don't know. I, I tend to think a lot of the times of the road factors as um, I don't know, a, a little more complicated than they look. You know, it, it's it's certainly true to say like, uh, most teams benefit from playing at home. Uh, you know, maybe just for psychological comfort reasons. But in a case where you look at just kind of like the uh, physical conditions of the venue, the Bills. A stadium would be like a downward sort of uh, effect on anyone's traveling stats there in large part because it's cold and tends to be windy. Like two things that we know will make it harder to throw no matter where you are. So those, those two things tend to make things difficult for the traveling team. But I don't think that either of those two factors affect Mahomes just as it doesn't affect Allen. It doesn't affect Mahomes like it does another quarterback, like you know, even Lamar, for instance, like we were talking about before. Like Mahomes has that really rare throwing velocity that can cut through cold and wind. So right. he he has no uh, obvious reason to just struggle on the road. But if it turns out that he gets there and he's like oh, whatever, just not vibing with the the crowd and he's homesick and he lets it get in his head, I guess that could be a factor. But it it just. I don't know. Mahomes doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would, even though he's done his, his crybaby thing lately, I, d- I don't think he's um, like, he's throwing a fit. Yes. But I don't think he's like fundamentally becoming a weakling, you know, like I think he's still, he's, he's still, you know, tough as nails and a, you know, a competitor in a way that basically none of us could ever understand. So I think he'll, he won't like get rattled. It'll, it'll have to be like the chiefs just getting roughed up and outplayed, which, which could happen. But, um, you know, honestly, he's every single game this year pretty much has been difficult for Mahomes. So right. it would in a way be weird for him to all of a sudden get so shocked by any of it now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I don't think that that he's flappable. I think he's unflappable. I don't think he can be flapped. But <laughs> I, I think that there's, um, you know, a, enough other things working against the Chiefs this season as opposed to, to years past. Like, like you laid out there with uh, the weaponry, um, you know, your, your best option is a, is a rookie day two pick and in, in Rasheed Rice Travis Kelsey seems to be hitting the cliff pretty hard so if we get to he's the, at the CMT where... awards every day now that's yeah. all he does <laughs> he's listening to I don't know I, I I'm like not even remotely literate enough on Taylor Swift to like make a make a funny pun of like yeah, an album yeah. or something yeah so 
that if you want that, uh, there's plenty of other fantasy shows that that I'm sure have tons of like Taylor Swift nonsense. Here we but, just talk about Garth Brooks. So yeah, anything and, for you and Surge. Um, but beyond that, um, yeah, I've I, I think the Chiefs definitely give them a game here. Um, but I, I think that this is the the year that um, the Bills break through and get back to the to the AFC Championship game. We'll, we'll see what what's uh, there for them on the other side, whether they're at home against the Texans or, or have to hit the road to go to Baltimore. But I do like the Bills to win this one. Um, I'm probably not touching the spread either way. I, I think I'll just take the the money line on on this one with with the Bills um, minus 142. But uh, about 70 percent of the money is coming in on, on the bills to cover the spread. Hmm. Well, I, uh, I have trouble thinking through a game like this. Cause to me, it's kind of a coin flip and the question of which team, you know, comes out ahead. It, it, it's always pending all these other questions I want to ask first. It's like, well, what, what does this guy do? What does this guy do? What kind of game plan does this team try to use or whatever, whatever. So um, I could imagine it going uh, c- certain things going worse for either team than other uh, tracks but i'm going to go with uh the chiefs uh, the coin flip in my head basically because i am still not convinced about the passing game for the for the bills and specifically i'm not convinced of the design of it it's not i don't mean to say like i don't think josh allen can do it i think he has already shown that he can but he has also shown as many times now that the bills are capable assuming they don't change anything the bills are capable of spacing their offense in a way and calling the game in a way that is basically undoable for allen as a passer it, uh, like maybe maybe this scenario this exact scenario would turn turn out differently if stefan diggs reverts to the level that he showed you know two or three years ago I, I think the math works out fine if he does that but if we get like 40 or 50 or 60 yards stefan diggs i think the rest of the picture can all of a sudden turn for the worse and while James Cook has been effective overall, I don't know if he's the kind of runner for a game like this to pick up the slack. Like I think, uh, I don't know, more more of a more of a dome kind of back, warm weather kind of back. I think, and the Chiefs' pass defense, I think, is opportunistic enough that if Allen has even his typical turnover projection, his like mid-range turnover projection things can kind of go sideways pretty easily. Uh, I think being able to run in games like this is crucial. Uh, I'm not, I'm not just saying like the chiefs are going to be able to for sure, but Pacheco to me seems more like a serious runner for a game like this. So that's, that's part of the coin flip in my head too. Like I I think that the, the chiefs offense is, is limited just as the bills offense is limited, but I just don't worry so specifically as much about the turnovers. So, um, I guess if, if if you told me Josh Allen only has one turnover in this game, I'd say like, oh, well, Bills win by like, I don't know, 10 or something. Mm-hmm. But if the number is two and if it's especially three, then I, I think that le- I think the Chiefs are more likely to turn turnovers into, um, you know, increased leverage that, than the Bills might. So I have no actual idea. I don't feel strongly either way, but I'll, I'll say the Chiefs uh, and, you know, may- maybe like a bit of an ugly game for both offenses. Well, it's it's always important to remember when when Josh Allen turns it over, it's because he's being too competitive. That's right, folks. It's, hear it every single time he throws a, a really stupid interception. It's like, look how competitive he is, and it drives me insane. Um, well, that was but, the the Brett Favre thing. It's the yeah. 
Yeah, he getting he carries it. That's the crown you definitely want to want to carry. Um, but well, not uh, the same that... crown. But yeah, it's it's uh when you're when you're when you're just playing ball out there. Sometimes you throw it to the you know who knows who. Yeah, exactly. You're just just a kid back there. Just just letting it rip. Um, and then uh, one more injury item here. Gabe Davis did not practice today, Thursday. I will say I, I think Gabe Davis is good, but not in the role that they use him. And I think if you're having someone run a 30 yard go route, then yeah, make it Shakir instead of Davis. That's not even really Shakir's thing exactly, but he runs a four four three. He can he can get there. Yeah, no, he uh, your your call on him is is solid. I, I like Shakir. I think he needs to get a, a little bit more involved uh, yeah. if you're Buffalo. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Any kind of uh, lingering observations from some of the the teams that that lost last week. I know we we I think we'll start in the NFC East because I think the, those were the two of like the louder um, results of last weekend. I think uh, Philadelphia is a good place to to start here. It obviously kind of looks like Kelsey probably going to retire. He kind of walked it back a little bit on Wednesday, but I, I think it's more like he wants to do it on his own terms. I think he's podcast retire. Uh, exactly. Um, I think. Uh, this is total conjecture, but it w- would it shock you if Lane Johnson walked away too? I mean, like, you know, it's, he's had a long career at this point. He's had a ton of injuries. Kelsey's retiring. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's gone. Maybe too. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't kept up on Lane Johnson much over the really good players. Of course, great player. Um, has it already been that long? Yeah. yeah. I think it, it was like the 2013 draft. I want to say, damn. Uh, yeah, he, you know, guys, guys do walk away sometimes when we're not expecting it. And uh, he's, he's maybe he's one of those guys where you, you can't, you got to save before you get to the franchise mode off season in Madden, because you're, you're shocked to see him in the retired player list. And you're like, no, I'm not accepting that. I'm going to reload that. Make sure <laughs> one of my bums retire. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe he's in that. Uh, maybe he has that um, part of the, the algorithm attached to him now. I don't know, but <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty catastrophic for the Eagles, even though he's a right tackle. Uh, a, Lane Johnson's a pretty exceptional right tackle, and B, I think I think we have reason to suspect at this point that the whole left-right uh, assumption of of offensive line value wasn't uh, was either not that well ra- uh, founded or was maybe at least like a little overemphasized. Because uh, yeah, having having someone just always keep the pocket clean from the the vision the the viewing side of the quarterback you know the throwing side that's pretty nice and having a having to just know you can step up in the pocket when you throw every time is is a pretty it's not just uh great for play design it's like got to be a you know a mental uh it's, it's got to be like a, a source of just kind of comfort for the quarterback to know that and uh while my seems really good on the left side Kelsey and John, I mean, just Kelsey going could cause them problems. So certainly if Kelsey and Johnson are gone, that would be a lot to manage. Yeah. Again, conjecture on the Lane Johnson part and, and nothing super or uh, concretely official on, on Kelsey, but it, that's the way things are trending on Kelsey. I was just throwing it out there as, a, as an idea uh, when it comes to Lane Johnson, but uh, you know, be, beyond that, I mean, you know, they, for this Eagles collapse to, to unfold the way, the way that it did, um, you know, I think that there's some sense that there needs to be some sort of shakeup w- within the, the coaching staff. But, you know, where, where does it really start? So I haven't kept that close of track of this team. Uh, honestly, 
I guess it was some point like a year and a half, two years ago, I sort of just conceded that Sirianni must be good. I I guess that's all there is to it. And I sort of didn't really keep that close of an eye on that team and their, the things going on. So I was caught off guard by the Sean Desai, Matt Patricia thing. I was like, what the hell is that? What, why would that be going on? And how is this the team of all teams? That's just for some reason, like upheaving their coaching staff in the middle of the year. It's like, this is, this is a strange thing to do. Also the Eagles, struggles on defense were the kind of thing that you could have predicted. I mean, like going in, uh, being a team that expects to have leads, being a team that stops the run well, you should expect teams to throw on you. So if your average starting boundary corners age is 31 and a half, 32, you shouldn't be so like shocked that the past defense is struggling. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't watch the passing game struggle a little bit and then go like, oh, who do I fire about this? Like Maybe the GM, uh, if you were going to fire anybody. Um, so yeah, that whole thing. And, and to go to Patricia of all people, that's like going to, it's like switching out your, your, your trusted longtime advisor for like Grima worm tongue or something in the middle of the, sorry, that's a Lord of the Rings thing, John. Um, but someone in here, older than you might know the reference. Nice. yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's like Patricia. Why? What, what, what nefarious crap has he been up to, 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 to get his way into this position of influence. Like what is he up to? Nothing good clearly. Um, but that was a bad sign. Then the, there was the other, um, God, there's something else that I that, that popped up. Right. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, it's not, it's not common to see this level of just upheaval and like in season discord and, and just, uh, the sloppiness of it all. It's, it's so strange for a winning team, a team that seemingly had like the whole league by the throat and they're, they're just completely self immolate like that. That's crazy. So um, at this point, I don't know what to think of Sirianni. I, I thought he was, I assumed he was good. Not that, you know, I guess a couple of years ago revisiting it now, but I, I don't know other than like, I hate what the offense was this year and I hate how they ran it. And I find the Patricia thing really disturbing. I don't know a whole lot about Sirianni, but um, the window has pretty much slammed shut, in my opinion, in terms of their ability to compete like as a favorite contender. You know, like they 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 have no reason to be going into next year as like penciled in top five team. Sometimes surprises happen. Sometimes teams outside of that top five just you know, look at the Texans this year. You know, but sure. short of an improbable turnaround, they have to just kind of accept the reality that like look. You got to replace two corners. You got to replace probably all your linebackers. They suck. You have to maybe replace two all pro presences on your offensive line. You have to figure out this whole mess you've gotten your offense into. It's it's a lot to figure out. And you got to start paying Jalen Hurts now. Yeah, you got to start paying paying Jalen Hurts a lot now. So it's uh, it's a tough situation. And I, I was um, I didn't expect Sirianni to get fired specifically, but it was. It was one of those things that quickly became one of those like, oh, wow, I guess it could happen because right. they do kind of have to rebuild. And if, you, if you're reassembling an, an entire vision, uh, why not scrap the whole thing? I don't know. And they, you know, to your point on the corners, like they theoretically drafted replacements for for um, Bradbury and, and Slay. But both of them look pretty bad so far. I mean, it, it's mean Ringo? one year. Ringo and uh, Eli Ricks. Yeah, the, uh, didn't Ricks go undrafted, or was he? I thought he was like, 
slow. Uh, anyway, uh, Rick's yeah, and um, he was Ringo. a bigger deal in college and in the recruiting because uh, he had the true freshman things. year, or whatever. But yeah, he, yeah, he's one of those guys who tested really badly, I think. So it's like Ringo's the opposite end. It's like he kind of plays just bad, but he is really, really fast and he's pretty huge for a corner. So, you, yeah, in theory, he's like a project, but even in theory, he is only a project. So, um, you know, honestly, I, I I thought it was a concern even in 2022 that the Eagles didn't seem to have any corner depth. You know, Avante Maddox, I guess, has has proven himself a decent enough slot corner. But that year, their number four corner was like Zach McPherson. I don't know if he's still on the team, but uh, yeah, it's it's um it's not good when you're a team winning b- by some virtue of your pass defense, and your entire pass defense can just go down immediately you know, if a 31 year old corner were to miss a game. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's concerning back there. Reed Blankenship was their leading tackler this year. So maybe that's bad. Yeah. That backs up your point on the, on the linebackers, but it also says some other stuff as well. So uh, that defense really wilted down the stretch, but maybe that was a long time. Patricia couldn't fix it. I can't believe Matt couldn't fix Uh, it. I know he had the pencil and everything. Um, I, my like kind of big takeaway down the stretch and like overall comment on, on like the Eagles offense is like, why couldn't they run the ball at all? Uh, as you might know, John, you're kind of asking the wrong person because um, I, I have a somewhat biased interpretation of this. I think they could have had a pretty fruitful run game. I think it is exactly as simple as pushing a button. And I think they said, no. Let's let's not do that. <laughs> let's push this other button over here that says throw it 40 times a game. Mm. I think it was I think um, this is baseless, you know, speculation. But to me, it would make a lot of sense if part of the issue with the Eagles offense this year was the input of not analytics. I think analytics is a good idea and um, something uh, that the league should embrace. But too often what you're told is analytics is a very particular recipe of, you know, uh, ideology and and assumptions that aren't necessarily true at the very least aren't challenged and, you know, uh, substantiated. And one of, one of those things is the, the, the premises of the EPA number you hear so much about. And I think there's some, there's, there's, um, there's merit to EPA as a tracking uh, set that you use to track like team performance, but when you try to apply it to individual players, it pretty quickly turns into nonsense. And that's how you get like these these bylined, you know, uh, mainstream analysts who say things like, I think Baker Mayfield's better than Lamar Jackson. It's because the EPA stat is basically uh, it's not gamed necessarily, but there's there's sort of like a blind spot in it where it will always tell you that a pass is always worth more than a run. Right. And it will tell you that a, a quarterback that runs is worse than a quarterback that doesn't like just that's just the fact of it so like passing volume will make the number go up the epa number go up rushing will comparatively not make it go down but not go up as fast and if you're doing some kind of um t like a a scheme like building exercise where you're trying to put put together like mathematical models and stuff and be like highest projected epa you would come out with something that says like throw it 800 times uh, it would tell you like, don't run. It would tell you try to throw 40 times in a game. Cause especially if they're doing it from a sample of like past results, like imagine the EPA per uh, snap for like 
AJ Brown plays in the Eagles offense is probably like off the charts. So it kind of, it makes sense. Like we'll keep pressing that button until the returns diminish, but you have to understand the returns will diminish because those numbers, they occurred, but they were dependent on conditions that you stop meeting after a certain point. If the defense stops defending the whole field, honestly. And I think it's the simple fact that Jalen hurts can strike as a passer, a, a certain few areas of the field. And initially, you know, the first two years, two and a half years of this experiment, those parts of the field were open enough and or, you know, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, talented enough in their, you know, route running capacities that it was obviously a screaming success. Defenses began adjusting defenses, especially this year when they figured out like, hey, they're not even running as much as when they did with Miles Sanders last year. The guy who's a backup with the Panthers now. Yeah, they're not getting as much out of the ground game as they did with him uh, last year. So. That that happens, and then what is their solution? It, they didn't even see it as a problem. The, the, the difference there is largely just they put it on the passing game, you know? But the solution to every problem that comes up is you got to throw more. It's, it's, it is the ideologically prescribed remedy to every single problem if you look at things from that lens. So I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as Brian Johnson or the running back coach or Sirianni. I don't know who. Maybe they just looked at Rashad Penny for one second. And we're like, oh, no, he's too big and slow. Every There's a certain kind of person who will look at a bigger player and always think they are slower than the s- smaller one, even when they're not. This is one such case. Rashad Penny is faster than, um, I guess, not Swift. No, he is faster than Swift, actually. A little <laughs> bit faster than Swift. And he's faster than Gainwell, faster than Scott. But he doesn't have short stubby legs like those guys. Those guys look so cool because their legs go so fast. They go like, and it's like, wow, look how fast he's going. Shot Penny goes, he sucks. I don't care if he gets more yards. He sucks. Look how slow his feet go. The guys with the short legs, their feet go fast. They're better. That might be what the running backs coach or, and Brian Johnson or, and Sirianni all thought. I don't know, but outside of those two things, I have no idea. I don't know how you look at that offensive line. I don't know how you look at the results that it got with Miles Sanders. I don't know how you look at Rashad Penny running the way he has in his NFL and collegiate career. I don't know how you look at him being the biggest of those running backs by upwards of 15 pounds and the fastest of them anyway, and still say, no, put in Gainwell. It's, it's a, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was arrogance. They're they're, they're just voluntarily taking zeros because they're just like, ha ha, we can, we're that good. We can, we can take it. That stopped being the case. And um, it, it not only like was the reason their margin got worn away. I think it's the reason the whole thing fell apart. Well said. Dang. I mean, that was, uh, I, I feel like that was probably hard to hear if you're a Philly fan, but a lot of truth be, being, uh, being Maybe. told there. Hopefully. Yeah. I think so. I think you're, you're right online with, with a lot of that stuff. And yeah, that just their, their lack of being able to counter adjust when, when things weren't going right and them just kind of opting to just throw the ball a ton. Just doesn't work. I, I love your analogy of, of Hertz as like a two pitch pitcher. That doesn't work as a as like a, a workhorse starter. As he can go five innings, concerned. not nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five and dive. Um, uh, we we want to get to some coaches, but oh, we can we, we can did. get to we we did we can get to more coaches next week when there's fewer games to talk about. But I do want to do a post mortem. I know I know I teased the Cowboys, but I'd rather take uh, get your opinion on the Dolphins. Because they're they're approaching an interesting crossroads because it, they they haven't had to pay Tua to make a contract yet, but now I think it's up for debate as to whether they should or not. Right, that is a tough one, and uh, 
you know, I, I have always made uh, myself, I guess, like the, uh, the running backs labor defender guy and, and somewhat necessarily at the expense of, of quarterback earnings. Um, that's not because I'd like to see the quarterbacks actually make less money. It's, it's, um, you know, I, I, I feel bad having to suggest something like this, you know, something like maybe the dolphins shouldn't pay to, uh, but, um, I think there are certain, you know, for, for how quickly it's always wielded against running backs that like, Oh, they're replaceable. You can feel free to make the observation in other cases too. You know, like in Tua's instance, he's done a great job in the system. Clearly the system pretty much goes uh, as well as you need it to when he's out there, but that's not the same as knowing that he's uniquely capable of making that occur. And it's not the same as knowing that there isn't a better alternative within, you know, some amount of realistic reach. I don't know so much about the second part, like as, as much as I'm a little bit worried about, you know, overpaying a guy like Tua, who I think has, you know, like in other words, I, I think Brock Purdy could do a lot of stuff that Tua Tunga Vailoa does, you know, and it's like I, I don't think either of those guys is worth paying the way you would pay, you know, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, you know, Mahomes, whoever. Um, so while you know, not if you if they were to not pay Tua, that could uh, that could raise all kinds of hell, uh, both politically, you know, and and on the field results. You know, you might you might downgrade really bad, look stupid for it. But uh, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that he doesn't actually throw to that many parts of the field, and uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little too much just disgusted from the optics of that Kansas City game. Like, it drove they were me bad. <laughs> It drove me crazy to see him dropping his shoulders back to throw th- to throw the ball at like a ninety degree angle. Uh, it's like, dude, why are you putting this up to the wind? Why are you throwing it as high as you can into winds like these? The, also, the ball is heavy. You got to start making, you know, you got to get some, some lateral gains here, my man. And it's just like just throwing it up. And and it's not it's not that he didn't understand those things. It's that he doesn't have the throwing velocity to drive the ball. He needs you know, the mathematics of the angle trajectories to get the ball downfield or anywhere he was, he was lobbing it on even like 15 yard passes, completely insane. So when I see stuff like that, it's hard for me to not think like, could guy X, Y, Z not make that same throw guy who is not conventionally like, can't, can't Baker Mayfield get the same results in that game that Tua gave uh, them? Right. Like, I'm, I'm not saying Tua, uh, uh, Baker is good exactly, but, and, and I, if, to be perfectly clear, I don't mean to say Tua is is um, as bad as Baker or whatever that they're equal. It's just something that I can't I can't like I can't make an objective case for it. It's like something I suspect, but it, I what if what if I'm wrong? I mean, I'm, I already said I'm not basing it on a whole lot, you know. Like what what if Tua really is no better than Baker Mayfield? Uh, watching the way Baker Mayfield went from you know cut by two teams or whatever to a 30 touchdown quarterback just because he got to play with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. It's like, sometimes you can just go ahead and say the receivers are more important in this case. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I could see the case either way for two. I, I don't know how to take a side so much, but man, I hate, I hated those throws he was making in that Kansas city game. That was ridiculous. So I, I feel like Miami, like they have their coach of the future. Um, I, I'm I'm very much sold on, on McDaniel. I, I don't really hold the, the two playoff losses um, against him. 
but you do w- worry about the window here because you, you're going to have to make that to a decision soon. Tyreek probably won't be this insane for, for, for that's that probably why they years. probably will extend to a, a, a large part because of the Tyreek part. Like you said, yeah, I guess they, got two they, years. Like, they can franchise tag them um, maybe, but yeah, I mean, isn't it strange that no one media or whatever otherwise suggests that you could just franchise tag the quarterback everybody says you just got to franchise take the running backs because screw them they have no leverage what leverage does the quarterback have if he's on the like he he has to pay like he has more uh, prior earnings to pay fines with but why why is it that the quarterback can't take the franchise tag why is it accepted that well if you franchise take a quarterback they're not going to hold they're, they're not going to report they're going to hold out why that that's something that that assumption and the assumption that there's any leverage that comes with that holdout is something that's just sort of granted to the quarterbacks and at direct expense of players like running backs, but there's no actual difference. It's like, he's, he's only got the tag. Like he, he can show up and not sign it or he, he can sign and show up or not show up, but it's the same deal. But the, the, the second you suggested, it, it's like, Oh no, now you got to extend him. You got to give him extension. R- quarterbacks are a special cast of a, of a football player. And you need you need to give them extensions if they're free agents. One year deals is unex- running backs. They should work for a big bag of peanuts once a year. They can get this bag. Independent contractors. Yeah, um, yeah that where it all gets taxed out, and yeah, they, they don't have it. Yeah, no, they should not. But yeah, I don't know. I, I would not if I'm a Dolphins fan. Like I would not want to see them plunking down the. Uh, the Lamar Jackson or the Justin Herbert or, no. or the Joe Burrow t- type of deals. I don't think that he's, he's earned it, frankly. And I don't care if the market rate for, for quarterbacks is going up. We have a, an example of a bad quarterback getting paid. That's not that long ago. We, we've seen the Daniel Jones stuff and they're already like trying to f- find their way out of it. We've seen the Russell Wilson stuff. So don't hit your wagon like, if you don't have to, but um, you know, be, beyond that, um, I think the offensive line can, can get better that they won't have a, a year like they had, uh, oh, Mostert again. Uh, you're good. My internet went a little weird there, and I couldn't tell if it was you or me. So I was preparing to tell the audience, like, uh, sorry, we're we're doing the Twilight Zone exit on this episode. Oh uh, no, no, we're 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 good still. But you know, my my point was, um, or that I was going on was, um, you know, that you're probably not going to get another year out of Mostert like you did this year. But Han can can be a legitimate superstar in this league. I yeah. think the offensive line will will get better. So I think you know, there's some things that that. Um, you know, the, the Dolphins should feel optimistic about for, for the future. I think you, you made a really good point either a week or two ago about um, the, the dominance that Christian Wilkins is putting on the field yeah. um, in the middle. You know, that that's, uh, you know, something that we haven't been able to say about Miami's defense in, in a while to have a, a presence like that in the yeah, middle. He's an all that, decade guy. Like he, yeah. he gets a lot of attention, but still not enough. And the, the secondary is overpaid and overrated. I would say so that yeah. that'll probably need some Howard's gone. Yeah. So that that'll help. Uh, do, does Jalen Ramsey still look like he's Jalen Ramsey to you? No, but they're stuck with him uh another year or two. Also, to be fair to Ramsey, he's probably still a little rusty from the injury, so uh, I don't know what the trade-off from this point is, you know, as, as far as like how fast he can recover versus how fast he will decline physically as he gets another year older or whatever, but mm-hmm. um yeah, they also got. I, I guess uh, if Vic Fangio is gone, then that would be, you know, maybe a, another complication that they don't need. But uh, if they're running the Fangio scheme, then I think Ramsey should be fine because like they they don't make you know they don't have like a Darrell Revis role there. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, good point on that front. Um, but yeah, the, it all boils down to Tua essentially. And um, I, I don't know if there's really fixable stuff like that. You just kind of have to have an increasingly uh, superior supporting cast and, and an improving offensive line. I think, you know, you know both of those things could be in place, but hmm? I think uh, so as I was making like the Brock Purdy, not a comparison, but question about, you know, mm-hmm. could he do everything Tua does? I think McDaniel needs to, fu- he needs to get Brock Bowers. Like he needs to get Bowers. They, they, they need Bowers to be the Kittle. And that's, that's the only way they can scale it up. Cause they can't, they can't really like make Tua throw to more places. You know, there's, there's rate, there's pr- certain places he just can't really access. So you have to create more yards after the catch or you have to run more and better. So yeah, maybe run more and better, but also get Bowers to get like the Kittle yards after the catch in the middle of the field. And maybe they can make a run that way. Yeah. The trade up into the top 10 for my guy, Brock, but uh, I guess they, if you're in the competitive tight ends window, cost more than they used to. Um, Brock Bowers is the freaking man. I uh, can't wait to, to like talk about him. With, with I would like to see it, if they trade a first rounder from next year, maybe they can get just in range. And I, I think it would be worth it because they, they, they would have, you know, their, their Debo, Ayuk and Kittle at that point. That's true. I, I like that. Um, you know, the, that analog there. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us here on, on this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors over at Blue Wire, over at Circa, and the Circa Resort and Casino, of course, and over at FanDuel. Um, for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.